Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Okay, live across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to everything. I mean, the social media sites we simulcast to every morning, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. You'll find the audio-only live stream. You'll find uh, links to the podcast and more. And, of course, links to the Common Sense Core, which is our cool kids club that helps you support the show if you are so inclined, uh, you can go find that all at MichaelDukeShow.com. And, of course, streaming live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite lady, uh, this, your, your favorite lady, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It's right here. It's all right here on the Michael Duke Show. Good morning. It is Thursday, uh, Thursday on the big radio program. But there's more. Uh, so big, big announcement today. I got some bad news for you, uh, for tomorrow. I won't be here tomorrow. That's the bad news. The bad news is no show for tomorrow. You'll be listening to alternate programming in both locations. The good news is I'll be back on Monday. I'll be back on Monday, which means also that uh, I know it's last minute. I know it's last minute, but stuff and things, man, stuff and things. I got family commitments all of a sudden that uh, kind of popped out of somewhere and we got to uh, we got to take care of stuff. So, um it's uh it's going to be uh, uh it's going to be okay. But tomorrow <clears throat> is a no-go. So, no Firearms Friday, unfortunately, which means the good news for that though is today we might be talking about some Firearms Friday headlines. Uh, we might be talking about a few gun things today as we go through the uh, process uh, and get things done. Now, I was <laughs> I was working on some guests, and we might have some guests today. That that's the that's the thing. We might have some guests today. Um, we'll see. Uh, I had a couple that said uh, I had a couple that said maybe. And now I I have not heard back from either one of them, but uh, I have sent invites to the show. So we'll see if somebody just arbitrarily links up with us this morning to talk about stuff and uh, and and join us. I'm particularly interested in what happened yesterday with the legislature and the attempt by the House to call a joint session. And uh, it uh, <clears throat> well. Didn't go quite the way that we'd planned. Uh, we'd, I had no planning in it, but it did not quite go the way that they planned, uh, as per our discussion yesterday with Shelly Hughes. So, well, we'll see what happens. Um, so it will, uh, it'll be interesting to say the least. We'll talk about this, uh, throughout the show this morning. 
We're also going to uh, potentially take some calls and more. Um, it uh, we will. In fact, I guess I. <clears throat> I'm qualified. I'm qualified to just turn the phone lines on right now. So I suppose I could just do that because that would probably make the most sense. So in case you guys want to dive into it today, um, I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it when folks just call up and and talk with us and, uh, you know, uh, sometimes on topics that I was not even going to bring up. We would not have known more about the scam artist in Palmer yesterday if we had not uh, taken some phone calls just out of the blue arbitrarily. So I suppose and sponsored. we'll go ahead and uh, get the phone lines launched and ready to go. And then that way, if you feel like you want to call in, and in fact, this would be the good day to do the uh, Firearms Friday call in as well. So if you want to... Uh, if you want to ask questions or talk about firearms-related issues today, we'll allow it. It's uh, why not? Because we can. I don't know why my voice was doing that, but it uh, it <clears throat> it's uh, a little disturbing. Uh, anyway, so feel free to uh, give us a ring. Phone lines are now powered and energized. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. Five zero. If you would like to sound off, we'd love to hear what you have to say. And uh, we want to say again a special thank you to our friends at Satellite West for sponsoring the program today. From Ninana to Naknik, from um, <clears throat> Quinnahawk to uh, to uh, uh, Quinnagak. I mean, any of those, any of the places in the state of Alaska that you are, you can be connected with. If you could see the sky, you can be connected with your help of your friends at Satellite West, whether it's text messages, emails, phone calls, just surfing the Internet, whatever it is. Satellite West has the tools and the talent and the technology to make it all worthwhile. Uh, so give them a call uh, and uh, or check them out online at SatelliteWest.com. Boom. End of story. That's it. That's that's how it is. So, yes, I just got on. There is no Firearms Friday for tomorrow. Somebody just came on and said, what? There's I just got what's happening? Uh, so, yeah, so I will be off tomorrow, but I will be returning on Monday. So, um, it's it's just, yeah, and I did say alternate programming. So... I think it's Doug Steffen's good day up in the uh, up in the interior, and I think the stations on the peninsula will be hearing Mike Gallagher. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So, but we'll be back on Monday, so it'll just be one. You can do it. You can do it. Okay. Uh, so, what do I want to talk about today? <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, we could talk about the legislative pay raises. Uh, we could talk about Kathy Tilton's gun rights bill. Uh, we could talk about uh, the Greenwood, Indiana uh, mall shooting and Elijah Dickinson. Uh, there's some new new stuff that just came out on that. Uh, we can talk about uh, the DOJ trying to defend their restrictions on people who are using uh, legal cannabis to prevent them from being gun owners. We could talk about... Um, the uh, House committee who's advancing the 
school funding boost and how people are complaining it's not enough. It's not enough. Uh, there's a ton of things we can talk about. So there's all kinds of stuff to chit chat about. And of course, we'll see if our guests decide to come on and we'll go on from there. But meanwhile, hey, look, I got a phone call. Should we just go over to the phones and start there? You know, I got no plan today. I got no plan today. So that sounds good to me. I think we'll just start over here on the telephone. How about that? Good morning. Who's this? And where are you calling from? Hello, my name's Webb, and I'm calling from Anchor Point. Good morning, Webb. What's on your mind? Well, you know, I'm I'm off all the topics you just stated, but I'm kind of curious about your feelings on the on all the ATF stuff that's going on and how they seem to be getting neutered or hopefully getting neutered with the way they, you know, put terms on, on what is and what is a weapon. And I'm just, could you relate some of your feelings on like the suppressors or pistol brace bands or anything like that? I, it seems to be changing every day. I was just wondering about your thoughts. Yeah, no, I mean you're you're not wrong, Webb. I mean, part of the problem is is the uh, administration of the ATF has been um, um, has been uh, uh, neutered essentially, or not neutered, but uh, I guess weaponized is the word I was looking for. They've been weaponized by the administration. Unfortunately, it started with the Trump administration's decision to force the ATF to administratively ban bump stocks, something that had been something that had been noted to be legal in multiple determination letters over the years. And uh, the Trump administration, um, you know, the Trump administration uh, uh, forced that through. And then the Biden administration, in a monkey see, monkey do type attitude, uh, is attempting to do the same thing to the uh, to the arm braces. Uh, the bump stock ban has already been noted in several courts that the ATF has exceeded its constitutional uh, or statutory authority in doing that, that they don't have the ability or the right to basically rewrite law without the uh, express uh, consent or participation of Congress. Uh, and that's, again, part and parcel of not only you know precedent, but also now the new Bruin decision as well. So, yeah, the ATF has become just basically a stalking, you know, horse, just this weaponized thing that they can use to bludgeon gun owners and the and the gun industry with. And I think it's it's problematic, to say the least. I mean, you have businesses that have been built up around, for example, the 80 percent lower kits. Right. That's one of the other things that they're talking about now and what they determine are ghost guns. And that's been determined to be legal for years, 30, 40 years And now all of a sudden they're arbitrarily saying, nope, can't do that. So they're destroying livelihoods. They're destroying businesses. Same thing with the bump stocks and everything else. Businesses, you know, were were destroyed when they, you know, when they had multiple letters from the ATF saying, no, your product is lawful and legal. And now all of a sudden it's no longer. So they just basically businesses had to shut down and shutter. And the worst part is, is that the, the citizen is caught in the middle. They may or may not be paying attention and not realize that the thing that they had is no longer valid or legal, and they've opened themselves up for a tremendous amount of liability. And uh, yeah, it's definitely problematic to say the least. It's uh, it's a hot mess, and they need to be reined in. Quite honestly, 
I feel the same way. And, and the the NFA stuff from 1934, I think, should be a lot of it should be overturned. And I I can't I can't figure out how they considered a suppressor to be a weapon, dangerous and unusual, when mostly you know the only reason it's dangerous is because it's it, it, I I don't know what the statistics are of suppressors being used in a crime situation, but the reason why it's, and, but it's, and they're not unusual because millions and millions of people own legal suppressors. Right. So now it should be, well, they're not a firearm because they don't do anything. I mean, they're just a tube, you know, that you put on the end of your, to make your shooting experience more pleasurable in my case that's what i use them for i my dogs don't like loud noises i prefer quiet shooting and and it's got nothing to do with i'm going to strap on a, a suppressor which makes my um gun less concealable concealable right and go crime with it i it's uh it's just so strange well it's I, a it's a health and safety issue web I mean, it's a health and safety issue in, uh, you know, in uh, in uh, Scandinavia, uh, in Sweden and, and, and Norway, you could go down to a hardware store and you could purchase a suppressor over the counter because they, in fact, they they frown on you shooting without a suppressor because it's a health and safety issue. You're right. Uh, the use of suppressors in exactly. actual crimes exactly. is excruciatingly low. And in fact, most suppressors that are found in crimes are... Um, are uh, ones that are uh, either homemade or improvised, you know, type suppressors. They're not, you know, you know, it's so you're right. It's a ridiculous thing. It's just one more thing for the government to get involved with uh, to try and stop criminals who are breaking the law anyway. You're not wrong. You're not wrong at all, Webb. So if they, oh, I lost my train of thought there, but I've got to get off the phone. All right. But- my last thing, I, question I would ask would be: Do you think people should hold off on the on the gun, on the pistol brace ban and not register your weapons? Because once you send in a a photograph of your of the gun you already own, and you you can't even put that in a in your gun trust, you know, it won't allow that, you know. So it's got to be now. Now you're admitting that you own this weapon that doesn't meet their criteria of being legal and and then it's you just open yourself up to a can of worms and yeah here i am and here's what you're looking for so i should everybody just hold off on that and see where this goes or what's your well i mean i think uh, your mileage may vary but i think since the possibility is there for uh for uh, uh this to be overturned or withheld i think i would be I think I would be hesitant to do that until I see how the dust settles on this. So we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Webb, I appreciate your call. Thank you for uh, being part of it today. We're up against the break. We got more coming up. Don't go anywhere. We got more lines on hold. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. The Michael Duke Show. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. 
Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, 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 okay. Let's go over to this caller here and see who this is. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Michael. It's Kevin McCabe. How are you? Good, sir. Uh, you happy on this line, or do you want to call me on the other line? Either way, uh, I'm fine with me. But uh, what's what's the other line? The, the cell te- number? Yeah, the cell number. Call me on my cell. Okay, I'll do that. All right, thanks. It'd be a little bit a uh, little bit cleaner, a little bit better. We'll try that. Um, all right, uh, Kevin J. McCabe is going to be joining us here in just a moment. And we'll be uh, we'll be doing that, uh, getting things ready. Um, I got to uh, I got to fix I got to fix some stuff, stuff and things, man, stuff and things. Uh, all right, um, can you hear me, Kevin? Can you hear me, Kevin? Can you hear me now, Kevin? I can hear you. Okay, hold on. I'm trying to get you connected to my system here, and I'm having a challenge. Can you hear me now? Uh, okay. Uh, let me turn that on. And uh, hold on. I'm working on this, Kevin. Don't go anywhere. This is, <clears throat> I'm hopefully going to get this fixed today. I got a, I had a problem with one of my, uh, one of my pieces of equipment here that connects all my phones and stuff together. I had a little bit of a problem here. So let me see if I can get Kevin back on the uh deal here we're working on it um okay can you still hear me kevin oh that is some ball stuff right there um all right uh kevin i'm gonna call you right back on this number hold on Uh, i'm gonna call kevin back here right now as soon as i Okay, well, that works. Let's go back over here and try this again. See if we can get Kevin uh, connected. There we go. There we go. Hi, this is Kevin. Hey, now I can hear you, and you can hear me, and we are all kumbayaing together. Cuckoo-cachoo, I am the walrus. Um, <laughs> it's that kind of day, my friend, that kind of day. How, uh, I can tell. yeah. How's life, uh, how's life treating you down there in the big Juno town? Well, I came home, got home late last night. The Houston high school opening is today. So I was invited to come speak at that, which is a huge honor and, and privilege. I can hardly wait to see the, the kids now that they are sort of separated. They're not going to have 800 people in that little middle school building anymore. So that's a plus for sure. They at least get a chance to do their, uh, to do their thing here, uh, in, uh, relative peace and quiet. Um, uh, let me see. I'm getting this, uh, getting something else here all put together. Okay. <clears throat> um, uh, well, I got, I got windows on top of it. Sorry, Kevin. I was, uh, I had a little bit of, uh, uh, how is, uh, um, how is, uh, the, the rest of the uh of the rest of the uh the work going on down there i mean this is a constant battle i know that you've been a whole lot busier this go around than you have been in the uh 
you've been in the past uh, because obviously being in the majority, you got a lot of committees and everything else. Give us a rundown of what's happening. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been, uh, I mean, it's been amazing uh, just uh, finally getting to work for Alaskans and doing some of the things that my constituents sent me down there to do some of the things I campaigned on in the, uh, Hearing some of the presentations, the uh, Americans for Prosperity folks, there was 41 of them down there for the last uh, two days. Most of them were on the plane last night coming back with me. And uh, it was really great seeing them and really great to have a uh, another group of conservatives in the Capitol. Makes me wish that we were on the road system so that could happen every day. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been great learning learning as fast as I can and trying to put things together as fast as we can. Um, so, well, and that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's good. It's good, positive to get some good work done. Let's, uh, oops, let's uh, jump back into it here. Hold the line. Kevin McCabe, our guest, the Michael Duke show continues common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio, like, and share. Here we go. No, I meant now here we go. The Michael Duke show, not your daddy. Wait, sorry, not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yep, <clears throat> not your daddy's talk radio. It is the Michael Dukes show. Broadcasting live across the state on your favorite station and or FM translator. Joining me on the phones this morning uh, Representative Kevin McCabe, House District 8. Uh, he comes on with us to talk about, uh, well, pretty much anything that we want to talk about. But specifically today, I wanted to get into the discussion on the pay raises uh, because there was an attempt yesterday to call a joint session and newsflash, it failed. Uh, Kevin McCabe joins us this morning to uh, kind of give us the rundown and the details. Uh, he's calling us via telephone this morning. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, so um, yesterday uh, there was a call. We had Shelly Hughes on. She was hoping that there would be enough votes in the House to call a joint session and force a call in the House and then to force the Senate to come over and um they said, no, we're not interested. Sorry. We like those 67% pay raises. So, uh, tell, tell us what's going on here, Kevin. What's, uh, what was, what was the, the rundown yesterday? Well, you can imagine, good morning, Michael, and good morning, everybody. You can imagine, um, how, how I feel about the pay raises that the optics are horrible, uh, whether or not we actually needed a pay raise. Uh, I'm, I suppose, uh, they haven't, you know, legislators haven't had a pay raise since 2010. And if you don't pay legislators uh, enough, eventually you're just going to get retired, uh, retired rich people or, uh, you know, folks that can afford to be down there, which sort of stifles the voice of a certain segment of Alaska's population, if you will. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a, it's a, it's a horribly bad time and, and uh, I'm definitely not in agreement with it, but I can tell you how it went down the, the Constitution, actually, under Article 2, I think it's 16E, um, requires that we have a joint session after a veto. I mean, it's pretty clear, the first sentence, it actually requires it. Speaker Tilton sent a letter to the Senate inviting them to special testimony, or to a special joint session, rather, 
um, after the veto and in the middle of the floor session yesterday of our regular floor session, we got a letter back and notification back from the Senate that they were not interested in a joint session. Um, so uh, that's that's sort of the first part of it. Then uh, uh, one of the members, uh, uh, Representative Eastman, uh, made a motion to, um, uh, in accordance with the Constitution, to actually put the put the motion on the floor instead of the uh, less confrontational uh, invite that uh, Speaker Tilton had sent. Now we want to put it on the floor as a formal motion, and uh, another representative tabled it. And so, and of course, there was an objection. So we had to vote on that, and and the tabling actually succeeded. Um, so once it's tabled, um, and then um, then we just sort of go on with business. And the next business, of course, was a sense of the house, which uh, you know that said basically that we don't agree with this pay raise. And uh, we're a little bit upset at the way the commission or the committee, the payroll committee, the pay committee did it. And that also uh, was amended. Some folks tried to amend it to the point where it was gutted. And in the, in the uh, I think the rules chair was the guy that had put forth the uh, sense of the house. By the time it was gutted with all the amendments that everybody was in such a hurry to put in, he just pulled his sense of the house, which sense of the house is really nothing other than uh, other than copy and a note from us saying uh, you're very bad we don't want you to do that <laughs> right. it has no right. it has real no real power but keep in mind the way this all goes down so the the pay committee puts forth a and, and you know this but maybe your your uh, some of your listeners don't the pay committee puts forth a report and that report says we believe the governor needs this amount of pay raise. We believe that the lieutenant governor needs this much, and we believe that the commissioners need a pay raise as well. And that was the the governor's original intent. Right. Um, the Senate voted it. Uh, so so to um, stop that, it happens automatically once they put it out after a certain period of time. I think it's well, 60 days. And I think that's – I don't mean to interrupt you here, Kevin, but I'm going to interrupt you because sure. I think that's important. This is the only piece of legislation that that the that the legislature takes up that passes in this way, because why? Well, some previous legislature decided they didn't want to be caught on record deciding whether or not they should get a pay raise, and so instead of having to vote it up or down, they made it so that it automatically takes effect unless the legislature votes it down uh, to begin with, and 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 so it's already a political football, and you kind of. You know, we, we kind of just breezed over the fact that the original commission put out the report and put out the recommendation that the governor, lieutenant governor, and the commissioners receive a raise, but the legislature was not included, uh, and then all those people were then summarily either resigned or were fired. The entire commission was turned over. On a Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday morning, a new commission sat, and in 15 minutes, they'd put together a whole new package for the legislatures with a 67% pay raise. Uh, I mean, there's so many things to goggle at here. I don't even know where to begin. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's part of the reason that many of us, whether or not you agree that the legislature needs a pay raise, um, that's one of the reasons that many of us are very. Um, it's embarrassing, frankly. I, I, you know, we're especially especially us in the House majority. We've been sort of put in a box or maneuvered into this by, um, you know by the Senate a, a little bit and the governor a little bit and, and we did a little bit of it ourselves, I'm sure. But we've been put in this box and now we have to, uh, you know, now we have to figure out our, our way out of it. And, and there was almost no good way. Um, most of what you saw yesterday was people that actually wanted the pay raise, trying to make sure that they did not have to vote on the board on the pay raise. To right. me, that was the... That was all the political maneuvering. So, so yeah, I mean, we put the bill in, the initial bill in for the governor and the commissioners. We put a bill in saying, nope, we don't want that. The Senate passed that. We passed it as well. And then, uh, and then the greasy part happened, if you will. The, uh, the uh, commission was, uh, was executed and a new, com- uh, you know, committee was put in place. And, um, then it got even worse. Instead of issuing a completely new report, because remember we had a bill that was supposed to quash that original report. Right. There is a there is a little wrinkle in the statute, apparently. So so let me back up a little bit. We put that bill in to to quash or to stop that original report. The governor had not yet signed it, so it was sort of in limbo. Yes, we said we don't want this pay raise, but the but that bill that we put in saying we don't want this this pay raise had not been signed by the governor yet. So the the new committee took the old report and they amended it. So now we have a bill that we put in that says we don't want this report. Doesn't say we don't want this report as amended says we don't want this report so so now we're sort of in this limbo and that's the big question is well if we if we overrode the governor's veto were we over would we be overriding just the first two things the the governor lieutenant governor and commissioners or would we be overriding the amended version right the yeah so yeah and and i will tell you that we asked the several of alleged legal um, attorneys uh, in many times the same question and, and got different answers every time. Um, so, and, and we were up against a hard stop because I think Friday was the, was the last time we could have done anything about it um, with the deadlines and the deadline on the veto. There's a five day deadline on the veto. And I think the 60 day, I think they were all coming to a nexus on uh, today actually, or, or tomorrow. So um, we were running out of time. You know, it would have been nice to get uh, maybe have a little bit more time. There was some thought, well, maybe we still have 60 days because it's a new report amended. And uh, there was so much that was just flowing around there that was not real clear. What was clear to me was the Constitution clearly says we must meet after a veto. It's very clear. And, And, you know, Representative Eastman was was not wrong when he brought that constitutional clause to the floor, and in my opinion, we we should have at least forced it that far, and it was frustrating that it was tabled. So, 
Um, I want to break this down a little bit, and I hope you don't think that I'm belaboring this too much, Kevin, but I, I want to break this down a little bit because here, first we have uh, basically a bill that is passed in a way that no other bill is, mostly for political reasons, because nobody wants to be on record as to whether or not they want a pay raise, because that's just not good optics. So however long ago this statute was changed to where it doesn't have to be voted on, it just doesn't have to be voted down. That's the first part that I just find, I mean, own it, at least own it. You know, I can understand the argument that, you know, younger families and yada, 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 uh, need to come in, be able to participate and and serve in the legislature and all that. But yesterday we broke it down just a little bit for people so that they could understand what the what an act what a legislator actually receives. And <clears throat> I got to be honest with you, Kevin. Um, the numbers were kind of eye opening and shocking to myself and to many other people who were uh, in the audience yesterday. So we're going to break it down again here on the other side, and I'm going to get your take on it here. Uh, because I think it's important for people, instead of these big, bold, raw numbers and everything else that we keep hearing about and the and the, the things being thrown around, I broke it down yesterday on a kind of a monthly basis. And it was, uh, it was again, it was a little shocking and eye-opening. So I hope you'll stick around with me for this and we can, uh, we can uh, kind of break this down and I'll get your thoughts on it. So if you'll hang with me, we will do that. Kevin McCabe is our guest. Uh, We're talking about uh, yesterday's attempt to have a joint session of the House and the Senate, which failed over the new legislative pay raises. And so we're going to continue the discussion on this here on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more and Kevin McCabe right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Kevin McCabe, uh, our guest here this morning. Let's change gears for a minute, Kevin. What uh, what are you working on, my friend? I see that we passed uh, HB61 out of... Community and regional affairs, and it is now off to what state affairs? I think is that. Am I am I right on that? Yeah, I believe that's where it goes. Um, so, I um, mean, it, 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 you'd think I'd know that right offhand. We we talked about it enough, but I'm sure that's now, a, it. Goes to state affairs next. Um, what was the so, uh, what was the overall feel for sixty one while it was in community and regional affairs, which you chair, by the way. Well, uh, no. Well, I'm a vice chair on that. Uh, CJ McCormick Sorry, yeah. is his chair. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the the committee, for the most part, was for it. There were some questions from uh, Representative Himshoot, um, and uh, most of them centered. Uh, well, a bit of them centered around the the lawsuit. I think there's a there's a clause in there that allows you to sue in three times damages if uh, if this ever happens to you. So you own a gun store and there's an emergency and a mayor closes you down, 
as a law-abiding citizen, you know, he's going to send the cops to close you down. So you're sort of obligated to follow their direction. But after it's all said and done, you have the opportunity to uh, sue the city or the mayor, whoever it is, and get three times the damages. Remember that those the, the cops or the law enforcement officers, they work for the mayor and they're doing what they're told. It's not really their fault. And, uh, you know, you can't really go to the cops and say, hey, arrest this mayor because he violated this. So this gives you some protections that you can uh, file a lawsuit afterwards. It puts a little teeth into the bill, if you will. My my discussions was that the bill itself, um, HB 61, at its heart, yes, it's a Second Amendment bill and it deals with guns, but really at its heart, it's a... Um, equity, equality, however you want to put it, bill in commerce. I mean, if you're going to close it, and, and well, let's be honest, I mean, Mayor Berkowitz didn't close his restaurants or the ones that he had an interest in, and yet he closed the uh, Cabela's and Sportsman's Warehouse and all that sort of thing. So, um, you know, gun owners, gun owners and uh, people were rightfully upset, if you think about it. Sportsman's Warehouse doesn't just sell guns. They sell bow and arrows. They sell fishing lures. They sell fishing poles. Um, all sorts of things that the average Alaskan uses to support himself or figures sure. he can use to support himself in some sort of a crisis, right? So um, more than a gun bill, but at its heart, it, it definitely uh, is a Second Amendment bill. So I was happy to uh, do my part to push it forward, and I think uh, – I asked the speaker if I could have the privilege of uh, of carrying it on the floor because she can't from the dais. So hopefully when it gets to the floor, I'll be able to make the arguments there. No, I mean, I think, again, it's a valid bill. This reminds me of uh, Whitmer uh, in Michigan where she was shutting down like Lowe's and some of these other places that, you know, I mean, people are stuck at home. They want to be able to garden. They couldn't buy seeds, you know, and things like this. Uh, things that just made no sense. So this is really, while this bill specifically is about the Second Amendment, it also deals with that freedom of commerce uh, from being able to do things. I mean, this really was more about control in the long run than it was about anything else. And that is the most frustrating. Uh, and what we saw it happen in Anchorage with the code enforcement officers showing up to try and shut down these businesses was infuriating for many people. Uh, I mean, you'd leave a marijuana shop open or a liquor store open, but you couldn't leave open a sporting goods store uh, or a gun shop. Uh, I mean, that made no sense whatsoever. Uh, and so I'm glad to see this. Uh, I'm glad to see this piece is uh, is moving forward. And hopefully um, it uh, it makes it out onto the floor and, and they see the benefit of this. What else are you working on, Kevin? Anything else you got uh, cooking real quick here? We got about uh, 90 seconds. Sure. So the uh, the big one we're pushing through as well, which is really good for Alaskans, is the direct primary care agreement, which um, is a is a sort of a bridge. You know, an insurance company doesn't really want to be in the medical business or in the healthcare business; they're in the insurance business. And so the direct primary care restores the relationship between the doctor and the patient, removes the insurance company. You pay a doctor's office a certain amount of month uh, of money a month, and and when something happens, you just go to the doctor's office and, and you get taken care of it for whatever your monthly fee is. And it's uh, it's a fantastic idea um, that uh, Dr. Erickson from Capstone brought forth, and uh, we've been pushing it on both uh, the House and the Senate. And 
very hopeful that that's finally going to pass. I think there's almost 1,200 practices. I'm sorry, 12,000 practices in the lower 48 that are doing it. Yeah. And I think 37 states or something like that. So that was, we heard that for the first time in uh, in labor and commerce yesterday. So I'll probably have another hearing there and then um, then move on. So I'd love to hear more about that. We had one of the first doctors that was doing direct primary care on the program here a while ago, and he had some amazing statistics on that. And I think it's definitely a good thing. All right, Kevin, we'll hold the line. We're going to jump back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free thing in radio. Like and share. Here we go. Okay, we're continuing now. Kevin McCabe is our guest, uh, and I hope he bears with me for a second because I kind of want to break this down. Talk to me like I'm five, right? But break it down Barney style here. So here are the problems as I see it. First and foremost, we've got a bill that is uh, dealing with the uh, compensation for uh, the governor, uh, the lieutenant governor, the commissioners, the legislature. We've got a bill that is handled in a different way than anything else in a politically expedient way that hides really the responsibility for it, which, one, I find problematic. Two, we've got a bill where the initial bill is rejected. The entire board is wiped out, and within less than 24 hours, a new bill is a new uh, commission is constituted. They meet for 15 minutes, again, without public notice, and they completely amend the bill adding a ton of monies and positions to it, and it goes forward. Thirdly, it includes a 67% pay raise for legislators. Now, Kevin, I understand the argument, and I agree with the argument, that a legislative salary needs to be enough during the session especially to cover the cost so that the average Alaskan can go in there and participate in government and be a citizen legislator. We don't just want people who are, you know, well off or retired or something else. We don't only want them to participate. We want working class Alaskans to participate. So I think, do you agree that I've kind of summated it pretty well there overall, that that's a pretty good summation what's going on? Okay. No, absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, that's pretty much Although you, you know, the, the initial, the initial bill um, that, puts this into sort of its own little niche, if you will, is, is a statute. So it was a bill that was passed a number of years ago, and I haven't even looked into it right. that far. I've been so busy to find out where it came from. But keep in mind, the Alaska legislature has not had the most stellar reputation as far as uh, uh, Mike Shower would call it slime. Uh, you know, at some point we, we had legislators that were living in their office because they couldn't afford an apartment down there. It sort of opened them up to um, bribery, if you will. That's was the whole FBI wiretap and all that. And I think some of these bills were designed to fix that by um, giving, making sure the legislators that were down there had enough money at least to rent an apartment and to feed themselves so they didn't have to depend on uh lobbyists such as uh you know the the Vico or you know all that sort of thing so right the cbc um, right i and again yeah. I, I understand the argument i understand the argument right here's where to me the argument falls apart and let me run this by you here and get your take on it um so 
the legislative salary base right now is $50,400 a year, right? That's the base right. pay for salary. So that's 4200 bucks a month. If you take taxes out and everything else, it's 3600 or something like that, right? Thirty five, maybe $3,600. Right. So they're making $3,600 a month, month after month, every month, 12 months a year for essentially what is kind of a part-time job. Now, for four months... They are on it like Donkey Kong. I mean, in four months, it is a solid deal. During that four-month period of time, they receive per diem of can receive per diem of up to three hundred and seven dollars a day. Now, for the right. hundred and twenty-day session, that's thirty-seven thousand dollars in per diem that they could are that the legislators are eligible for. So you have your thirty-five hundred dollars net salary pay from your original salary. And on top of that, because per diem is not taxable, you would receive an additional, if you submitted per diem for the days that you're down there, every day that you're down there, you'd receive an additional $9,250 a month. So if you you add that to the base salary, that's $12,600 every month that the legislature is actually in session. Now, here's my question. If somebody can't make it on $12,650, which is more than I think I've ever made in a single, maybe I've made that much in a single month, but it's been, I mean, that's been, uh, you know, a few and far between. This might explain why we're having a problem balancing the budget in the legislature. Okay. twelve. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a numbers thing, right? It's a numbers thing. I mean, I, I'm just trying right. to break it down to, to those of us down here, you know, at the base level to say, I understand what you're saying. We want regular Joes to go down there and do it. I guarantee you, a regular Joe who's making 60000 bucks a year sees the $12,600 that's available, even if he had to take completely take time off his job and not receive any pay from his regular job. If they can't make it on $12,000 a month, we might have a bigger problem here, right? Sure. So now... Instead of the uh, instead of the thirty four hundred dollars a year, now they're going to get what eighty four thousand uh, dollars, which would be a gross amount of seven thousand bucks a month. So then now they're going to make what fifty five thousand fifty three hundred bucks a month on top of that. So now we're talking about fifteen thousand dollars a month while the sessions. In, I, I mean, <clears throat> Kevin, while I understand the argument, I don't know if the argument has merit. When the you know, we're talking about wanting to attract people from a more working class lifestyle with an average income of sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year, twelve thousand bucks a month looks pretty damn good. Right, I agree. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see. You know, we can affect that a little bit. So, you know, typically when I go home, when I come home like I did last night, I I shut off the per diem. I, I mean, the legislator. Um, that's the other sort of part of it that's a, it's a little bit feels a little bit greasy to me is the legislator has control over their own uh, per, uh, per diem so they get it automatically unless they actually take an action send in a form to the payroll department it says hey i was not here during these days um so i don't want per diem um, and, and what this allows is if the legislator uh, leaves juno and goes to a conference say in houston or um, uh, somewhere uh, such as that, um, then they 
the per diem still continues to run because they're obviously away from their house and they're supporting themselves with a hotel and that sort of thing. But when they come home, even though, you know, when I come home, I'm still paying for the apartment in Juneau. So I'm still paying for, um, for two places, you know, my home in the, in the place I'm living in, in Juneau. But, you know, in the transportation industry, I kind of understand what per diem is for and how it's supposed to be used. So when I come home, I shut it off. I send them a form and say, hey, I was not in Juno during this time. I was actually at my home. And so I don't uh, I don't need the per diem for, it'll be for uh, today, tomorrow, and Saturday uh, in this case. Um, and so, at the, but the problem is, is you don't see that every month. You don't see, unless you actually send in a, a records request. Right. It automatically um, comes really to recorded. you unless you stop it. Right. Right. So, and, and the average citizen can't monitor it, which I believe they should be able to, they should be able to look online and see, Hey, did McCabe shut his per diem off this week? I know you, you know, I saw him at the Houston high school opening. I know he was staying at home. He should have shut his per diem off. Many of us have also like Mike shower said, uh, you know, we don't believe we should be getting per diem uh, in a special session. If we can't get our job done, during uh, the 120 days, you know, should we be um, sort of living off the largesse of the government when we're down there, um, you know, doing the job that we should have been able to do in 120 days? So many of us don't take per diem during special session. Right. Um, I, I, I started out doing it the first year I was down there. I thought, huh. And I was kind of in a quandary, and after talking to uh, Shower, I decided uh, to just shut it off for the final two and a half months, I think. So you can look at the report, and Landmine is very good at printing it out, and there's other places you can go to find it. But it's all, you know, two months after we leave Juno is when the right the report, the report comes, report out, comes right? out. Yeah, So, but people can look at that and see which legislators um, have shut it off. So, so why do I say that? Well... You will be able to look because we were told, hey, look, uh, you know, yes, this is going to go through. Yes, the optics are going to be terrible. People are going to climb all over your butts and be really upset about it. But you can affect this by shutting off your per diem. You can, if you're upset at the pay that you're getting, if you're upset that you think it, it's too much, even though and we can talk about Juno and how much it costs and why we should be on the road system. I think we've all heard those arguments. But we actually can affect $30,000 of that or a certain amount of that by uh, manipulating our per diem, by shutting off our own per diem. And, and some legislators, even when they're down there, I think Speaker Tilton has done that for years. You know, when I first got down there, she said, yeah, it's not a good look to be getting um, so much per diem, uh, you know, when you're, when you're down there. And so, you know, maybe you ought to consider shutting it off one day a week or, or something like that. So, that that'll be kind of the honesty check um if you will it, it it's a pretty yeah. small it's yeah. a pretty small uh, uh yeah they, give, again, if you will but again this is a prime example of why the legislative session should be held on the road system instead of oh, having, 100%. Yeah, instead of having to pay three thousand dollars a month for a one-bedroom apartment or whatever you should be, you know, most of these legislators live within 50 miles of Wasilla or Anchorage, and that's the vast majority of the legislature, quite honestly. That's over That's over 60% of the legislature. They should uh, just hold the sessions here on the road system, and you would save half the per diem right there, period. Right. End, full stop. Right. End of story. It's, uh, it's insane. 
Uh, Kevin, right, I, some little. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, we're coming up well, on the end here. I just want to give you the final thought here, real quick. Sure. You know, there's just a few tentacles to that, and most of it having to do with staff. So if we if we moved a session to say Anchorage, we would have a bunch of staffers that would have to move. Uh, you know, in, uh, in as well as the voting and electronic and the clerks and the legal, and they would have to be in the hotels and stuff in Anchorage as well. So, uh, but of course that would be way cheaper, right? So, well, I would hope so. And I would hope many of those people would want to, you know, make some changes, especially it'd be a one-time cost if we moved it permanently. So maybe that's the answer. Amen. Kevin McCabe, our guest, folks, we're out of time. We got more coming up. Hour two dead ahead back with more. Uh, yeah, Kevin, I mean, I wasn't trying to use you to beat you up at this point. And I know some people are like, well, twelve. somebody in the chat room said 12000 bucks a month is chump change. Well, maybe if you're making $300,000 a year, 12000 bucks a month is chump change. To the people, the argument is we want more working class Alaskans in there. And the average wage in Alaska is what, $65,000, $70,000 a year? So 12000 bucks a month looks pretty damn good. You know, so that's, right. that, that's my argument here is that if you're trying to attract those people, the current pay that you have right now is pretty good. If you use the pay with and the per diem together, now you're talking about jacking it way up. And uh, I mean, again, it just it just leaves such a bad taste in the mouth. And of course, it's just the failure to read the room, the failure to look at what's going on in the economy and what's happening. I mean, I haven't had a pay raise in years. Most people, have, they're lucky to get a one or two percent pay raise uh, every year or every other year. And so when you look at this and you go 67, I mean, that's just, it's so, it's just a slap in the face, I think, is, right. is the bottom line. And I'm sure, you know, the governor thought he was doing a good thing. And, and I think that the uh, the senators that, you know, are pushing this and, you know, everybody thinks, yeah, there are some legislators that need a pay raise. I, when I think of Mike Cronk and all the villages that he needs to go to, that aren't on the road system. So if he wants to visit constituents in a village or if he needs to say there's a, some sort of emergency or some sort of a reason for a legislator to be there for a town hall or they need a, you know, he wants to tour a school that they, that they're uh, needing replaced or that sort of stuff. He has to fly there. So I know that uh, talking to Mike, he's been upside down for the last two years in in what he is paying out of his pocket to be a legislator. Neil Foster is the same way. Yes, Neil lives in Nome, but he also has um, dozens of villages that are in his district that aren't reachable by the road. And and the cost to get even a seat fare or a charter or some way to get there, I suppose you could use a snow machine in the wintertime, but of course we're down in Juneau in the wintertime. So um, you know, some some legislators are are struggling with that, and then there are some like David Nelson last year, who or, or the last session, who actually was told by his uh, military contractor, government contractor company, that he couldn't be a legislator after he was elected, that he couldn't be a legislator and hold that contractor job, and so he had to quit. And so his only job was as a legislator, and. And yeah, I think the pay, my pay after taxes is 1100 bucks and change every, every two weeks. And you just can't live on that in Juneau. So some per diem is necessary. Um, you know, you can, you can rent a room, there are rooms to rent and you can double up with legislators. There's restrictions on that as well um, because of the uh, ethics clauses that say that you have to report associations 
Um, so they're worried that, uh, you know, two legislators will live together and, um, you know, it will cause some sort of an ethical dilemma for them at some point. So, um, well, again, I, I understand it. I wasn't an argument to remove the per diem. It was the argument that right. you get the base plus the per diem and the per diem is tax free. And so you're getting $9,000 a month in per diem. Um, right. you know, that, I mean, that's a significant amount of money. And even if you're only making another 2,400 because you're already in a higher tax bracket, you're still making 11,000 bucks a month. So, right. I mean, you and know, Sen Senator Hughes is not wrong in that there, maybe there should be a bill or a, a way for a legislator to elect to get his pay only during the, the four months or the majority of his pay only oh, yeah. during the four month of session. I would not that would argue be helpful with in surviving. Yeah. yeah, no, I would not argue so, with that. If you want to get your pay yeah. in a lump sum in the first four months of the year uh, and then you don't get paid for the rest of the year, that's fine because you'd get all right. the pay plus the per diem plus everything else. And then there'd be no argument about I don't have enough money to live down here. I, I agree. Right. I, I agree totally. Um, but right. yeah, this whole thing is so infuriating simply because it makes the entire legislature, uh, whether they're for it or against it by, you know, by association, it makes the entire uh, legislature look just completely tone deaf and out of touch with what's happening in the, uh, in the, in, in the rest of the world. Sure. It indicts us all. And I'm not, you know, I'm getting emails saying, why did you allow this to happen? And, and, uh, you know, how did this happen and what did you do? And, uh, in uh, some of them even stronger than that. And, you know, I, I voted what I thought was to do it the right way. I mean, I, I voted to turn the, to, I voted for the bill that, that stopped the initial report. And so I was kind of surprised when it came back and they said, well, that report's been amended. And oh, by the way, the governor just vetoed your bill. So the question is, well, now what? You know, I don't think that we should be taking a pay raise right now in the middle. I mean, we just had a, a, a report, the, you know, the uh, spring revenue forecast that's horrible. And, and, you know, we're taking all these measures to try to uh, show that we are budget hawks or that, you know, we, we need to fix our budget and we need some fiscal responsibility and we're giving ourselves a raise. Yeah. Not, not a good look. <laughs> not a good look. You know? No, yeah. I agree with you. All right. Well, Kevin, thanks for calling in this morning and good luck there with the, uh, with the open house and the ribbon cutting and all that. And uh, I'm glad to hear that uh, things are going well for you. Keep in touch, my friend. Thanks for being part of it today. Will do. Talk to you later. All right. Appreciate you coming on board and joining us this morning. Kevin McCabe, our guest. Uh, <clears throat> Harold's criticizing us because we're thinking too small and we should, everybody, I mean, if that's the argument, Harold, then we should just pay everybody 200,000 bucks a year. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the argument that you're making at this point. Everybody should just get paid 200,000 bucks a year to get the best and the brightest that we can get down there. If that's what you want, right? 12,000 bucks a month, especially when the argument is we're looking to get average blue collar, you know, average working age Alaskans in there is um well let's just say that that is definitely twelve thousand bucks a month is pretty good pay is what i'm saying you know uh that's the thing that's the thing that blows my mind all right well we gotta go the michael duke show continues our two dead ahead we'll be back with more sarah vance is going to be our guest here in just a minute back with more right after this
Daddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet. Sorry. Had to push the button. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is The Michael Dukes Show. Good morning and welcome to Hour 2 of the Big Radio Show. It's Thursday. Uh, and we've got uh, some surprise guests on today. We just finished up with Representative Kevin McCabe, and Representative Sarah Vance is waiting in the wings for us. We're going to talk with her here in just a second. But some housekeeping first and foremost, because I have bad news for you. I will not be here tomorrow. No, it's it, I know it's a crisis. No Firearms Friday. Um, the good news is I'll be back on Monday. Uh, I got some fam stuff that came up, and uh, unfortunately... It's going to interfere with the uh, interfere with the show for tomorrow, and so no show tomorrow. You'll have alternate programming uh, wherever you are in the interior. I think it's uh, again. I think it's uh, Doug Steffen's good day, and down on the Peninsula stations, I think it's going to be uh, Mike Gallagher. But um, I will be back on Monday, so there you go. It's um, it's it's good. Uh, so anyway, that is the big news is that I will not be here tomorrow and I apologize, but that's sometimes you got to have priorities and families first and something's, you know, I got I got stuff to deal with. So that's the bottom line. So no, no, no me tomorrow, but we will be back on Monday to discuss. All right. So again, we just finished up with Kevin McCabe. We've been talking about the pay raises for legislators, and it's a little bit of a sore subject with me for a variety of reasons, um, as you could probably tell. <clears throat> but I wanted to get kind of a take on what happened yesterday. Uh, Sarah Vance uh, joins us this morning, and we're going to talk with her a little bit about it, get her perspective on how things went down. She joins us um, right now, and we say good morning to her. Good morning, Glory. How are you this morning? Good morning. You happened to catch me at a time when the street sweepers woke me up at 530. Hey, so I saw your text. See? And it worked out. see how it is. See, that works out good. I mean, I thank you for those early morning municipal workers for cleaning up and waking you up and getting Tell things. Yeah, getting getting things going on. Uh, so you've had some Java. You're ready to go. You got some uh, you got some feels here. Um, so, Sarah, uh, before we, let me just put, let me set the stage because, uh, I want to get your hot take on this and about everything that's gone on. And then I want to give you a chance to talk about some of the things that you want to talk about, some of the things that you've got going on, but here's my problem. We have a, <clears throat> we have a process where it is the only process and the only thing in the legislature 
that is a bill that is instead of being voted up and down, is it is instead is quietly allowed to be enabled, right? This is the pay raises. And this is because legislators never wanted to get up. We don't want to go on the record for raising pay for ourselves because that would be embarrassing, right? Uh, so we've got that problem. We've got a problem where the original bill comes out. Uh, it's voted down. The entire board implodes with people leaving and then the governor firing everybody. And then less than 24 hours later, a whole new board is instated with a 15-minute meeting with no public notice. They put all these pay raises in for legislators and everybody else and throw it out there. And everybody's like, what just happened? And they're like, oh, hey, we don't know. It's all it's all good. It's all Gucci. Don't worry about it. And inside that is a 67% pay raise for legislators. Uh, and it is just mind boggling that people are looking around like, well, what's the problem? This was fine. What's the problem? The rest of us out here are going, <laughs> wait a second. Um, and then the argument, of course, is, well, we're looking to increase the number of average working class Alaskans in the legislature. We don't want to just be rich people or well off people and folks who are retired and don't need the income. We want it to be the average Alaskan. And so then I broke the numbers down and said, well, if you take per diem, and you take your regular salary, you're making over 12,000 bucks a month while the while the legislature's in session. And I said, if you can't make it on, tw especially when you're looking to attract people who an average Alaskan making 65 or 70,000 bucks a year, if the $12,000 a month isn't attractive enough, this might be the reason why we're having a hard time balancing the budget here in the state of Alaska. That's, that's kind of what I'm saying right here. So I've set the stage. Am I wrong? Tell me, tell me what's what's on your mind here, Sarah Vance. Well, I think if people are going to run for the legislature, thinking they're they're going to make money, they're clearly misled. <laughs> it. Um, oh, haven't had enough coffee. Excuse me. <clears throat> if I were to uh, calculate my hourly rate, I I think I would I would make more as a mom. Sure. Sure. Uh, you, you know, I work 12 and 13 hour days when I'm here in the, in, in the interim, I'm working nonstop with my constituents. I actually go to and work in my office at the LIO. Uh, but the, but you're right. The entire process, when I, I read about the process on the news, just like everyone else, it was clearly sketchy and everyone in the, I read the news articles. Everyone's like, I just don't know what happened. You know, I had nothing to do with it that come on. You know, we have a public process to convey public trust, and it clearly didn't do that. Yeah, the wide-eyed, so, the wide, -eyed, the wide-eyed innocence of, well, we have no idea what happened here. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I've heard an argument that the commission, we keep rejecting what the commission is offering, and so the governor's like, well, let's get him a new one. Let you know, let's make something stick, and. Really, there has to be a good public process no matter what we do. And in the House, uh, Kevin probably mentioned, we clearly said this isn't right. The timing is lousy. There is no way that we think that uh, that a raise at this time when we are in budget deficit, we haven't don't have a long-term fiscal plan, is appropriate. And especially when the public thinks that we just aren't doing a good job. Right. But well, I will say that this legislature did start on time. We did get organized. We are a Republican majority. We're actually moving on things that the people told us to in the election. So you got to give us credit for something. 
Yeah, look, it doesn't I'm, mean that we need a pay raise. Yeah, no, no, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, if the pay raise had been 5% or 6%, that would have been one thing. But this just monumental uh, jump is, and I know the argument is, well, the you know the last pay raise was in 2010. It's been 12 years. since. Well, I mean, look at the, pub, the the private sector. There's many of us who have been living without a pay raise for years, especially with COVID and everything else. Many people are like, I'm just lucky that we held on to the job and that the business is still here. We're just happy to do that, you know. Uh, and again, the and I'm not arguing about the hourly rate. I, I mean, I'm with you. When I served on the borough assembly in Fairbanks, I think my pay was 600 bucks a month or something i did the math and i was making about a buck an hour or two bucks an hour for what I, the work i was actually doing but it, it it is the idea that if you can't make it on twelve thousand dollars a month even though rent is three thousand and the whole thing but if you can't do that that's <clears throat> we got some issues right i mean that should be attractive enough for people um and and again just the tone deafness of the idea that we're in a deficit, we just discovered we're going to be a billion dollars short for this year and next year, and now we're saying, well, we'll add a few million dollars here for this legislation. Oh, no big deal. No big deal. Nothing to see here. Move along. Move along. We have no idea how it worked, but it just must be because we're good looking and lucky. That's what it's all about. Right, and you know that's the statement that the House Republican said is, you know, this isn't the time. It's not appropriate. There are, we would rather have the funding. Well, there's, there's not funding. There's not the money. So we can't just put it to something else, right? You can't spend money you don't have, but somehow the legislature tends to try to <laughs> they, figure that out somehow. They anyway. sure do. <laughs> but you know, sure do. Uh, you know, it just isn't right when we have to be able to pass the red face test. That's a big question. Uh, you know, and we have to prove that we're fiscal conservatives, and that means for ourselves as well. Uh, you know, I, I, I chastise my staff on like how many sticky notes they use. So I'm like, a sticky notes to be stuck. You know, use a notepad and, <laughs> because I'm like, how, do you know how much those cost? Yeah. And, and they're like, no, we get them from supply. I said, yeah, and you pay for that. I, you know, I'm that mom who's had this question, you know, do we have enough money for jam to go with our peanut butter in the paycheck? And so I'm trying to think about those things to reduce that, that waste, you right. know, because if we use it, we're going to have to pay money to replace it. And that's, that's the people's money. Right. So overall, the whole thing was just a mess. And Really, I think it's a big distraction because the reality is, is that there are some major issues going on in the legislature that the Republicans that that all of you sent here to do. And we have some independents and Democrats who've been great team members. We're we're working on what you told us to do, and it's not an easy job. We've been handed the burning bag on the porch and uh, everyone's aware of that. But, you know, we're making it happen and we're actually working on a fiscal plan uh, We're we're working on a lot of the major issues. Um, next week, we're going to be working on the different election reform. I have four that uh, was introduced yesterday. I introduced them as House Judiciary Bills, you know, so we're we're doing it. But it is not an easy process right now. No, I mean, it's not. I mean, look, I and politics was never supposed to be easy. Right. This whole process is intentionally 
difficult. That's what the founders intended uh, of the of the U.S. and of the state. Legislative pro- legislative politics is supposed to be difficult because we want the fewest number of laws possible on the people. We want the people to remain as free as possible. So the process is supposed to be messy and difficult and everything else because you're trying to <clears throat> get people to compromise and come together and you know slow things down, slow the role of government because the founders understood that government by its very nature grows. And so if we could slow the roll of it, that's what we need to do. And so we're doing a good job here on that. Um, I just, again, uh, you know, I, I coming back to the uh, the call for the full session uh, of the House and the Senate, and they declined, and there wasn't enough votes to get. I mean, how are the legislators across the aisle from you in the House feeling about this? Were they, are they embarrassed about this raise thing, or are they supportive of it? Do they think it's out of tune? Does it fly against their policies and their what they say is their priorities of making sure that teachers get paid more, or that? I mean, what was the feelings from the other side on the way in? I think a lot of us are unified in, in the original the original commission's report was to raise the salaries of the commissioners and um, I believe the governor and the lieutenant governor because they hadn't been raised in a little while as well. But the they're having a hard time finding commissioners to fill certain roles. The Department of Labor was mentioned and the deputy commissioners make more than the commissioners who are responsible for the entire department. And that was, as far as my understanding, the impetus for providing that raise. Right. And then the legislature raise was added on after that. So we're we're dealing with hiring issues just like everyone else. I still don't have a policy person in my office because I only have so much that I can offer for a salary for someone who has heavy experience in law, who can pick up their life, move here, live in a little, you know, part, you know, crummy apartment in Juneau and, and, you know, we've lost a lot of legislative staff because of that, because they get paid better in the executive branch, or they just don't want to deal with it anymore. We're dealing with those issues as well. So, um, you know, the, the people across the aisle said, Hey, there's, there's kind of a legitimate need here, but we didn't like the process either. And that's something that all of us were unified on is that there, it should have been done better. And, um, you know, timing, not the best, but (laughs) they want to meet the needs of the workforce. Well, uh, it's interesting. Perception is reality. And I think the perception right now is that the process was so skewed and flawed and kind of hanky uh, that, uh, people are just like, Ooh, that's got a stink to it. Like you ain't never seen before. So, uh, it'll be interesting. Okay. We're going to continue with Sarah Vance here in just a minute. I want to give her a chance to talk about her new bills and some of the other stuff, uh, that we've got going on. So we're going to continue with her in just a moment. Sarah, hold the line. We'll be back. The Michael Duke show, common sense, Liberty based. Free Thinking Radio. Back with more in just a moment with Representative Sarah Vance. Listen to by more staffers in Juneau than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man... They're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Uh, obviously, Sarah hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> 
this show is listened to by more staffers than you know than any other show. That's just, it's, it's true. It's just true. It's so true. They transcript this show every day. Somebody in the Senate uh, leadership gets a transcript of this show every day. I guarantee you. Um, it's Sarah. It's good to see you. It's been a little bit since we talked, and uh, I gotta say, and I, I, again, I don't mean to beat the dead horse, but it's just so frustrating to see the lack of empathy on behalf of many legislators who support this kind of nonsense with what's going on in the economy right now with the with the uh, you know the quasi approval of the legislature this process went the way that it did and again nobody nobody's broken it down i've never heard anybody break it down the way that i just did to say you know you get $50,000 which is 3500 a month or 3300 a month plus you get the per diem which is tax free and so the average legislators make it $12,600 every month or over 12,000 if you want to round it down and it's every month for the session Not every, month. every month for the session i guess i should i need to put that in good for 120 days at least unless there's a special session in which case they'll get the per diem then too but i mean i just i look at it and i go Again, and maybe I'm just a medium income Alaskan, but twelve thousand bucks a month to me is good money. I mean, that's good money, right? I mean, that's and even if I had expenses that are five or six thousand bucks, I still got six thousand bucks to play with. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty damn good by the time it's all said and done. So I just, you know, I just shake my head and go, "This the legislature is going to do what they're going to do. Politicians going to do what they're going to do." But the average person out here is just going this is part of that frustration factor. You know what I mean? Well, one of the things uh, is that there's a bill uh, going to be introduced soon as it gets back from legal that will clean up this process and that any pay raise will not affect the current legislature. It will roll into the, it will begin the next and it will clarify this process so that a lot of the shadiness that everyone everyone is saying is was clearly wrong will be addressed, and uh, we need that. And it's unfortunate that it takes something like this to go. Oh man, we should address this in statute and pass a bill so that it so that we're not the ones saying yes or no to a pay raise for ourselves. That's no one no one thinks that that's a good idea. Except right. Maybe a few that we mentioned, but. Uh, you know, that's that's coming because we're the caucus of good governance. We want the public trust and and we're going to show that we mean it. Yeah. And I, and again, I think that that is the I mean, it's very obvious to anybody who's looking in with, a, with an open mind and some accurate thought and some critical thinking to see that that whole thing was passed so that legislators could wash their hands of it and not be seen to be voting. them. Nobody wants to be on right. record with voting themselves a pay raise. But I think it needs to come out of that. Again, I, I I agree with you. I think it go, needs to go to some other mechanism rather than legislators voting themselves a pay raise because there's obviously a self-interest. I mean, we saw when the first proposal was rejected, Gary Stevens was actually quoted in the ADN as saying, well, we're not going to do anything until the Senate or until the legislature gets a pay raise. We need a pay raise. And I'm just like, oh, OK, you're just you're just not going to do OK. Uh, and the squawking that occurred back last year or year before when they proposed to reduce the per diem down. That was, again, the same kind of squawking. Um, and, you know, but something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. And, and again, it's, I, again, I'm, I'll, I'll dismount from this dead horse. It is dead. I must step off of it and move on. But it's definitely frustrating. Um, we got about uh, 35 seconds here or so. So 
Just any thoughts before we rejoin, before we start getting into your bills, any other thoughts on this that you can finish up with? Well, I just, this isn't something that we did. This was the commission. The house did not initiate this as far as I know. And in my mind, it's a huge distraction of the important work that we're doing. And that's the part that absolutely frustrates me is that uh, this is the one thing that the people are focused on because rightfully so. However, there's a lot of other really important things that we need your attention on. And, um, you know, don't, it's important, but there's also the other things that you send here to do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, <clears throat> we continue. Sarah Vance, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Let's do this. Public anima number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. He's <laughs> a little bit of a pain in the something. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Sarah Vance is our guest. And we are here to talk a little bit about things going on down in the legislature. We have now dismounted from the dead horse of the legislative pay raise. I will get off that subject and we'll start talking a little bit about, I just, so hard. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what Sarah's been working on. She just mentioned that she has introduced a couple bills. We got some other things. We've got a, the full fiscal plan, right? That's the, that's the, uh, the, the momentum and the, and the, and the plan that the legisl the house majority has been working on is putting together like a full fiscal package for the, uh, for the state of Alaska. So let's get some, uh, let's get some hot takes on this, uh, from Sarah Vance who continues with us right now. Um, this is something the legislature has been missing for a long time. I mean, like a long time, like since before I started this radio show 24 years ago, we have lot, we have not had a fiscal vision. We had not had a long-term plan. We have not had a, a structured fiscal plan in this state. It's basically been how much money we got? Let's spend it all. How much money? We, oh, we're short. Well, we'll borrow it or we'll take it out of saving. How much money? we got? Let's spend every dollar. That's been the story for years in this state. And now the majority in the House has said we had a meeting. We did the fiscal policy working group. We came up with a comprehensive plan that has multiple parts that all need to be working together. And this is how we save the state of Alaska looking forward. How's it going, Sarah? Well, actually, let me let me uh, let me actually unmute you so that you can tell us how's it going, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm gonna have to admit I'm not on the House Ways and Means Committee, so I don't know in detail how it's going. Uh, we just received the spring fiscal forecast for our revenue, and you know, it's we're gonna be down close to a billion dollars. <laughs> Yeah, oh, wow. What were we saying last year yeah, when I, the legislature was, uh, you know, spending like drunken sailors is yeah. this is going to be short lived. It happens every time. Yeah. What was the quote from so, the Senate floor uh, last year? The quote, the quote from the Senate floor last year is we've got more money than we know how to, we know what to do. with. we got more money than we could spend. And then the spring forecast came out and there's no, you could polish that turd till the day it comes home. It does not look any prettier. Right. It did not last long. And, uh, you know, that's the entire point of a long-term fiscal plan is to stop with the highs and lows and to create the, the fiscal restraint 
that we have to be purposeful in how we look at our future and the decisions that we make. And uh, so Ben Carpenter has House Ways and Means on Mondays and Wednesdays in the evenings so that the public can engage and be a part of the process with the fiscal plan. I've been focused on judiciary, fisheries, and the other committees that I'm on and working on the crime bills. I just submit election bills and, uh, you know, continuing on some of the work that I started before with my No Patient Left Alone Act that is in the House um, Health and Social Services Committee. That one is going to be a lot of work um, because, you know, the nuances of, of healthcare and having a support person you know, there's things that are still really, really important to people that we're working on. But I'm such a I'm such a policy nerd that we just got our new statute books. Well, and okay. I'm so excited. You're so excited to get the new book. <laughs> I know. Um, I I work 10, 12 hour days because I I'm dealing with the crime bills. We have on tomorrow we're going to be uh, amending and passing out House Bill 66, it's the governor's crime bill on fentanyl and uh, elevating those crimes that if a drug dealer uh, manufactures or distributes any drug and a person dies, they will be uh, convicted or charged with second degree murder. We're saying this is serious business and we're going to treat it as such because so many people have died of fentanyl overdoses. I'm also working on human trafficking bills that um, our kids are, are being recruited online and uh, I'm trying to make sure that we're protecting our children because it's the problem is is worse here in Alaska than most people realize. And then next week, I'm going to be bringing forward the election bills that are companions to Senator Showers' bills that he's been working on. So uh, a lot of exciting things on uh, Monday. My House Bill 21, that's a health care consolidation that allows the school districts to consolidate under the health care plan. Uh, we'll have public testimony in House Education at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the Matsu School District has estimated that they can save 7 to $8 million a year by consolidating under the state health care plan. So that's one thing that I'm doing to help relieve the pressure on the education budget. So a lot of different things going on, and I would love for public input and and help. We yeah. we can't do this by ourselves. We need the public's help in in speaking up. No, because the special interests will be. I mean, the unions and everything else. They don't want to see a lot of that stuff slip out of their grasp because they control a lot of that stuff right now. And you're right. That's one of the things we've talked about on this show for years is not just consolidation of the school districts themselves, but just by consolidating the health care plan, we're talking about millions of dollars across the state. Matsu, Matsu is the second largest school district in the state. If they save seven, then maybe Fairbanks could save five and Juno could save three and Anchorage could save 10. And the next thing you know, we're talking about 40 or $50 million that could be saved across the state and they would receive the same care they would receive the same benefit it would just be consolidated under one roof instead of having all these different pots of money and and you know every time we hear that well you just couldn't possibly cut there's no more well okay fine then don't cut make the efficiencies the efficiencies are what gets us because government by its nature is inefficient if you can if you can streamline it you can do the same thing, have the same service, have the same level, have the same pay and everything else, but you could you could save a ton of money if you created the efficiencies. 
Yes. And I've been saying that for years. I mean, uh, I'm, what I'm finding out is that's clearly, I think, one of our largest problems. That's why the education budget and health and social services or its health and family now, uh, I think that's probably why we see those budgets so big is because uh, we keep trying to solve problems and then we we get in there and it's kind of like walking into a room that either your toddler and your dog just trashed and you're so overwhelmed, you're, you, you don't even know where to begin. That's essentially what some of these departments it feels like what I don't even know where to start right. in in cleaning this mess up. That's right. that's what's going on with our SNAP program right now, and it's an overwhelming thing to to get down to the bottom of it and make it more efficient. In the meantime, you just have to spend more money to try to get people <laughs> there to help stop the bleeding. Well, and, it, it not and it get, seems like we go from one trauma to the next. Yeah. Well, and the problem is, of course, citizen legislators who have to come up to speed on a lot of this stuff, especially if they've never dealt with budgets and things like that. And then you also have the case of where bureaucrats are very good at directly or indirectly obfuscating a lot of things and giving you a ton of info that really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the necessarily with the budget process itself. Uh, I mean, it looks good on a PowerPoint, but does it really get down into the nitty gritty of where you need to go? And a lot of times you don't even know the questions that you need to ask, right? I mean, that's part of the problem. Right. We had a conversation uh, earlier this week with Julie Colomb uh, after her committee on deed um killed two positions at the state library, $400,000, by the way, for two positions. Uh, and the, the and the thing that caught my eye was that it was she was quoted in the paper saying, these positions have been empty for years. And so that yes. led back to the conversation, for example, talking about efficiencies on the ghost positions. When Tammy Wilson, the last year she was in the legislature, she gave me a number of somewhere over 2,800 funded but unfilled positions, meaning those were not employees. They were just positions. 28 out of a 26,000 people workforce, you've got a 10% or more vacancy rate, and that money is just being used. And, in fact, when Cologne cut those positions, the librarian people came in and said, well, we were gonna, we were using that money for grants to other libraries and stuff. And I was like, wait a second. That's supposed to be for employees. Grants are a whole different line. So you're using it as a slush fund to pay for other things. And, and I mean, why aren't we talking more about that? Why aren't we looking at you want efficiencies? How about we just cut the funding for every unfilled position in the state right now? Now, if you find somebody, you could come back or, or do something and, and hire them and bring it back on a supplemental or whatever. But we are done funding positions that do not have a body in them. Yes. And, and that's something that I want to clarify because I'm getting all kinds of emails saying fund our libraries. It's great. Don't cut our libraries. That is the bureaucracy. Those positions were cut and they said, and, and representative Ruffridge called them out on the record saying, so what you're telling me is you're going to keep that money and try to fill those positions and not, distribute grants to the community libraries so this this scare that and this narrative that's going out to the public that their local libraries are not going to get this funding is the bureaucracy of that administration we are only taking the money from those positions that have not been filled 
this is the kind of thing that we're dealing with. So when, as the public, when you hear, oh, the legislature's cutting swimming pools, no, your school board is choosing to do that. Uh, the library uh, administrator is choosing to keep that money for positions rather than distributing it to the community libraries. And this is the kind of stuff that we have to hold them accountable for because I'm tired of it. Because what does the public say? They come back to the legislature and say, you have to fund this. You can't cut this money when we're trying to get the accountability for these slush funds, as you said. And that's the kind of stuff that just the deception of it just sickens me because I'm here to do your work and we're fighting this this underground cabal, if you will. Now, it's a little cabal. We're in Alaska. But nonetheless, this is why right. we've continued to have the lack of accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, just for you math nerds out here, because I'm starting to realize that I really love to break this down to the simplest level. If you had 2,800 employee vacancies, 2,800 positions that were filled and unfunded, and you only attributed 100000 not the $200,000 for the two positions that Cologne uh, killed, but if you just attributed $100,000 to those positions, that's $280 million that you could save. $280 million. You're looking for monies. You're looking for this. There's $280 million right there that you could fix just by eliminating the funded but unfilled positions at 100000 bucks a year. How much was the FY23 deficit mm -hmm. that we just talked about yesterday on the call? 260? Something. Yeah. So I think you might no. you might actually have some money left over if you cut that out and did I mean again <clears throat> The idea that some uh, that some budget somewhere, some business would go, yeah, we've got all these funded and unfilled positions, but we're just going to leave them in the budget because, you know, we may or may not. I mean, it's it's insane. It's insane. I don't know if other state governments do that, but if they if they do, again, there's the money you're looking for right there uh, on those positions. And again, if if a if a department finds somebody to fill a position that they really need filled. They can do it and bring it back on a supplemental. That's that's what supplemental budgets are for, right? That's what those kind of things are for. In the meanwhile, we need to take that money out of there because otherwise they'll spend it on something else, as we just saw in the whole library debate. Um, I mean, it, it's it's insanity. Uh, you talked about uh, consolidating the health care. Um, any movement on the idea of potentially consolidating school districts as well? Is that even is that even being discussed or is that just is that just a hot potato is that just plutonium it it's still a hot potato uh but i it has been mentioned i don't know how how full of a discussion that is uh but it it's still a hot potato there's a, a lot of contention around that and uh you know the legislature unfortunately we can only focus on a few accomplishing a few things at a time it seems like at least in my experience there's there's just a few things, you know, um, that are going to get accomplished. So I'm just glad that the conversation on this healthcare consolidation is getting momentum. On uh, Monday, you know, I could use your your support in calling in for public testimony at eight o'clock in the morning. If you can't call in, you can send an email to house.education.aklg.gov and say yes, we want this. This is this is a good use of our money and really it saves the school districts and the employees money. It's not, Both. it, it Both. will take the pressure yeah. off the education budget. Yeah. This is, this is saving 
you, the people, money and allowing the school districts more flexibility. So this is a win-win and it's optional. It's it's not a forced you know conversion. It's it's optional. And our cities and municipalities, if they need it, they could join if they wanted to. So it's it's getting movement. Uh, I have uh, some senators who want to introduce it over on the Senate side, which is is really good news. Well, I'm I'm happy to see that, and I'm I'm glad to see that we're at least pushing something commonsensical forward uh, on this. Uh, Sarah, do you uh, are you sticking with us to the top of the hour? You got to go. What's uh, wh- I I haven't checked in with you. <laughs> well, since I'm here now, I think I can say. See, that's what I like to hear. All right, we're going to continue here with uh, Representative Sarah Vance, our guest. I have no idea what we're going to talk about next, but it'll be fun, whatever it is, because Sarah's here. We're going to be back. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense. Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Sarah Vance is our guest uh, running on invisible beard power. Uh, we have got uh, one final segment directly ahead here, Sarah. I mean, you know, sometimes I feel like, Sarah, that I am just shouting into the void, right? I mean, I've talked about all these things. We're ta- I don't know how many years I've been talking about these ghost positions and everything else. I just feel like I'm shouting into the void. $280 million plus because, I mean, it could be one hundred and fifty or $200,000 per position, you know? And if it's that, then now we're talking about half a billion dollars uh, that, that could be saved. But, you know, I, I just feel like everybody looks at me like, well, That'd be nice. And then they move on. And I'm just like, we can't, it just can't continue. You can't argue with arithmetic. You can't argue with math. You can't keep spending more than you take in and expect that it's going to be okay. This is, it's so frustrating to me. Absolutely frustrating. And, you know, um, one of the things that uh, was asked of one of the, the new freshman members is what was the thing that you found uh, that was shocking to you that you were so surprised by. And they said the level of need. And, and that's something that, that, um, that we see all the time. And we have meetings with people coming and talking about the, the incredible need for, and, um, more money is needed here and, and more positions are needed over here. And, and they're legitimate. I mean, Jesus said the poor will always be among us. There are needs. However, we have to deal with what we have. And just because um, the need is there doesn't mean that it's our responsibility to fill it. And that's a that's a, an interesting, um, that's a weird bubble that we get in in government is thinking that it's our job to save the world. And um, we have to remember the conservative approach that says if the private sector or families and individuals can do it, then we shouldn't. And that is a constant tension in this building is um is remembering what our role is and to stay in our lane and make sure that we're acting responsibly for the people because uh we've seen that in the federal government it's clearly off balance 
And, and that's what is limiting the freedom of the people. So um, that's something I keep in mind, wh whether it's talking about policy or, you know, the fiscal restraint is, is this really something that we should be doing? So, you know, it's, uh, it, it is something that we're thinking about. I know that it's easy when people see a headline about the legislature that people lump us all together, unfortunately, but that's not the case. There's a lot of people working hard and trying to, to make those right decisions, but um, there's, there's a, a certain number of people who are still um, the tail wagging the dog at this point. Well, that's the problem when we've created a dependency state. Right. And we've got multiple generations now. We're probably up to the third or fourth generation of people who've been told by the education system and everything else that government is the solution for every problem. People come hat in hand. I remember I had a conversation with John Coghill probably 15 years ago uh, when he kind of changed. Right. He went down as this stalwart. A uh, minority of one, he wouldn't take part, he wouldn't do those things, he was a fiscal hawk, he did all those things, and then something suddenly changed about year three or four, and I invited him on the program, and I said, well, you know, what's, and he goes, well, Mike, you understand, people coming into my office every day, and they have stories, and they have this, and he goes, as a Christian, I just, I can't turn them away, and I'm like, that's great if it's your money. The problem is, this is our money. So you're now using government money to try and solve all these problems. And in many cases, what you're trying to do is not government's job. That's the problem. And yes, you're right. The need I asked again, back to Tammy Wilson, I asked her one time because we were talking about moving the moving the legislative session and everything else. And I said, how many people have you seen come into your office in the eight years that you've been there? that flew down private citizens on their own dime, not part of some PTA or NGO or government thing or lobbyist or just the average Joe walked into your office and said, here's how I feel about this bill. I've come all the way down here to talk to you about it. And she said, in eight years, I can count them on one hand in eight years. And I said, okay. And I said, what about, she goes, but on the other hand, every day, I have three to five asks in my office every day for more money from some other organization. How can, At least. How can you compete with that? How can you compete with that? It's, it's at least that. And um, my first year, I, it was nonstop. Every 15 minutes, I had a new meeting, and it was a new group of people asking for money. And at one point, I said, so what are you – what are you going to do to help us solve this problem? We have a we have a structural deficit, and we all need to contribute to this. Though they were so offended that I asked that question, it was like, "How dare you? You need you have to give us this. This is your job." Uh, but one of the things, and I have it written on a card here on my desk, that says, "The purpose for power and authority is to protect and preserve the principle of freedom." It's not to solve everyone's problems yeah. or dole out or dole out money or it's dole. to preserve and protect the principle of freedom. Hold and it. that means Hold it. the freedom Hold it. for someone to Hold it.
Okay, we're back. Sarah Vance is our guest. Uh, we're talking with her. Uh, we were just talking with her about people coming into the offices of legislators and asking for money. And I recounted the story that I've told in the past about Tammy Wilson and average citizens over eight years. She said maybe I could count them on one hand the number of times average citizens came down and paid their own way and came in to talk to me about a bill. Just an, just less than the, five or less in eight years. And she said, but I see a lot more people coming in and asking. And Sarah just said, how about a lot more than that? Uh, because you were saying it's every 15 minutes somebody seems to be coming into your office about the first, especially the beginning of session. It's meetings every 15 to 20 minutes with these people coming in with their hat in the hand. And then you ask them a certain question and uh, they got all they got all shocked and offended. So recount that for us and then you could tell us the card. Tell us what's on the card there. Uh, the question that I asked is, what are you going to do to help us solve this problem, the structural deficit? Because we're, we're Alaskans. This is this is our problem. And they were greatly offended. Uh, now, I want to I want to emphasize these are legitimate needs. They really are. But we are we can't be everyone's savior. We're not supposed to be. Right. And and the card that I have written on my desk is the purpose for power and authority is to protect and preserve the principle of freedom. That's our job. That's the role of government. And we've we've lost that along the way. And sometimes that that principle of freedom means you are free to go and take care of yourself. Right. Uh, so it's a hard conversation right. uh, that that we've forgotten the value of that. And it's hard work. It's what? very much hard work. But, um, you know, I'm trying to make every decision go back to that foundation. Well, and again, the problem is, is that the one question that nobody's asking and Brad Keithley and others have hit on this. But the question is, who pays? Right. So who pays? How are you going to do that? People come into your office and say, I need this and that. And yes, it is a valid response. It is a need. It is a true. This is not some kind of scam where people are socking money away in the Bahamian Islands. This is money to go fix something. But the first question should always be, is this government's responsibility to take care of this issue, issue X, whatever it is? And the second issue is, how are we going to pay for it? And like you said, uh, you said during the break, these people got all offended when you said, are you going to how will you help us fix this structural? We don't we have a deficit. We don't have enough money. You're asking me to spend more. How are you going to help us? And you said they got all offended about it. Mm -hmm. Yesterday on the House floor in the supplemental budget, uh, Representative Josephson, who I sit next to and we've I've had in the um, Department of Law budget subcommittee for the past number of years um, had an amendment to add more state prosecutors to prosecute on you know cases of rape and things like that and it was 1.2 million dollars for the 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 next last three months of the fy23 budget and he made a very compelling argument he said we are funding uh these court appointed attorneys for people who've been uh charged with rape and assault but we're not providing the the defense of these victims and man i tell you i wanted to vote for that because i've i've known and seen how much of a need we have in providing these attorneys to be able to make these cases to, to defend the innocent 
and especially when it comes to the assaults that is so bad on our women and children. I wanted to vote for that, but I said, you know, we're already facing a $250 million deficit in FY23. We just don't have the money. Maybe we should take out these other attorneys. But meanwhile, the Department of Law can't process, they cannot fight for like a hundred of these cases because they need more attorneys to do that. And that was that was a very sobering decision. So that's why I'm continuing to make, try to make decisions where we are finding those efficiencies and in, in reducing the spend in other areas so that we can prioritize those larger needs that as government we have to fulfill. And that is the constant decisions that we have to make. It's not just, oh, people come and ask for money. There's really compelling uh, needs like having more attorneys to defend to, to defend victims of, of rape, for instance, and our kids in OCS. And we're just scrambling all the time. And it's a, people think that it is um, an easy, you know, that we are flippant about these decisions. But I tell you, it's it's not an easy job when those are are coming at us all the time. Again, 2800 positions funded but not filled. If they were closed, that would be 280 million dollars at 100,000 bucks a crack. That would fix your deficit and you could hire attorneys for the innocent. Uh but that's just I not agree. that's just not palatable to some people. They want to do it, but they want to do it with fictitious money that doesn't exist yet. And that's part of the problem. Uh, we just have such an appetite for spending and no appetite for efficiencies or cuts or anything else. Um, you know, it's like they want the cake and, and eat it, too. That's the that's the crazy part. It is, uh, you know, we have some some really good finance members who are looking at where's the drain you know, um, in health and social services, we have been had on contracts, you know, that we um, we hire firms to do these big jobs that that we have to have done. And uh, what I've heard is, is that they come in with 10 attorneys to our one and the contracts are written to where they don't fulfill the, the job. They still get paid and we're left holding the bag. And historically, that's happened numerous times. So they have been requesting additional contract attorneys to help us strengthen that and uh, be able to make better decisions on filling those needs, that, that would save millions right there because a lot of these contracts are, for instance, $70 million. And uh, we still need the job done, uh, but when we don't have it done and we still pay that money, we've been had. Those are the things that I'm finding out are a much bigger problem than, than we've known for quite some time. We're down to the last uh, couple minutes here, Sarah, so I want to give you a chance. Again, you've got bills coming up on Monday. This is the health care consolidation for the school district's bill coming up at 8 a.m. in House Education Committee. Is that where it's at? Yeah. Yes. So give us a, so give us the pitch on that one more time and then finish up with uh, your final thoughts here. So House Bill 21 is uh, health care uh, consolidation for school districts and municipalities that has the potential of saving millions of dollars. It'll, it allows them to consolidate under our state health care plan. It's just one of the levers that we can pull to reduce uh, a lot of this waste, still provide the same services. And um, that one will be moving out of education, I believe, going to labor and commerce after that. But I need your support 
you know, make your voice heard because it really does matter. You think that we don't pay attention when you email and when you call, we absolutely do. And sometimes uh, that's, that's what legislators dis use as a decision for their vote is how much the public supports it. So it really does matter. Uh, you know, I'm working on a lot of things. I encourage you to follow my Facebook page on Rep Sarah Vance and just email and call the office. I'm crazy busy in more meetings. I've had legislators go, when is your walk around time? I said, I don't have a walk around time. <laughs> you know, I, I drink protein shakes for lunch a lot of times because I don't have time to be able to just sit and have a lunch. So um, I apologize if I can't speak to you directly, but sometimes when I have time, then obviously I will, but um, definitely want to be able to connect with you. Representative Sarah Vance, kind enough to come on the program on short notice, and we appreciate that. Uh, Sarah, thanks for all you do. 8 a.m. House Education Committee. We'll see if we can get some folks to support HB 21. Thank you for being on the program today. Thanks, Michael. All right, hold the line for a second. Folks, we're out of time. Remember, I am off tomorrow. We will be back on Monday. Be kind, love one another, live well. We'll see you then. All right, Sarah, final bite. Anything else? Anything else you want to throw out there? Tell us all your secrets and anything else, your secret strategies. There's nobody listening, just me and you and 100 people on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch. And uh, Anyway, uh, just tell us uh, any final thoughts here. Well, I will say that uh, I miss being home. It's been, I think, seven weeks since I've been home. Uh, you know, I have to give my apologies to everyone for not coming home and doing a town hall, but I would have to cancel House Judiciary on Fridays in order to make it home in the same day. And uh, right now, these these large crime bills, I think, um, are really important and being able to get them out over to the Senate. So that's kind of my focus right now. But I really, I really do miss being home and connecting with everyone, although I'm not missing the level of snow that's on the <laughs> peninsula right now. Yeah. So I'm... I mean, it finally warmed up to like 35 here in Juneau, and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, no, uh, Dave Becker at the stations in Palmer this morning told me he got tw almost 20 inches of snow yesterday. So, wow. I mean, they can, they can, they can just keep that. That's fine. Uh, that'll, that'll be fine. Don't forget with your town hall, you got all that technology. You should do some Facebook lives with people, do virtual town halls. Yeah. Yes, and I think I want to, I'm going to do that uh, because now I have like this on my, my computer screen because mine are town halls are usually on my phone and I'm, I'm stepping up a little bit. Step up your game, Sarah, step up your game. This is the future right here. This that's why I started doing right. this because this is the future for sure. All right. Well, Sarah Vance, thank you so much for coming on board. It's good to see you and we will talk to you again soon. You too, Michael. All right. Thanks so much. Sarah Vance, our guest here, the Michael Duke show. Uh, out of time for today. Don't forget to check us out on the Common Sense Core. Go to the website and click on uh, Join the Core. We are out of time for today. And we will be back on Monday. Thanks for coming in. We will see you on Monday.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 